what do you call yourself as like the podium am, finish <laughs> yeah so i'm our editor-in-chief the the head writer basically the boss of the podium finish or as we call it tpf so we're an independent motorsports media outlet we've been around really since 2008 although when i say 2008 it's really more of a segment that i used to do on bleacher report I was one of the seven or eight original NASCAR featured columnists when Bleacher Report kicked off that section. Um, some of the names that you may rec recognize include uh, Cara Martin, um, also to Kelly Crandall, who is the National Motorsports Press Association president yet, yet again. Um, and then there's me. So some of us have obviously gone on to North Carolina. Some of us are doing as well as we can while, you know, doing things in real life that honestly, even though I sometimes think, man, I wish I could be doing this full time. Like I am doing it full time, but I wish I could be in North Carolina. I, I really feel like I'm finally home here in Texas and not because of the ice storm. I just feel like, man, you know, I lived in Massachusetts. I was born and raised there. I was in the Philippines, came back to Massachusetts never really felt like when I get got back from the Philippines to the U.S. that, you know, Massachusetts was my home. So, you know, lo and behold, here I am in the Austin, Texas area. I would say really finally in year number five that, you know, this this feels great. Um, don't ask me that question, though, in the summertime. I'm going to probably say, oh, I would love to be in, in New England right now. But um, overall, I, I love life here in Texas. Awesome, man. So have you written off Charlotte completely? Or I've been... I've been sad. to Charlotte, but I've never lived there. Um, I visited Charlotte on three occasions. In 2012, I actually had, I was a, a finalist for a job with Lionel Racing as a social media uh, specialist. So that was pretty cool. I was about, I was 26, 25. So a little older than you, Sam, when I got that opportunity. And um, social media is definitely a different game than it was in 2012. But Oh my goodness, you're uh, not kidding. <laughs> but to imagine that I was considered by one of the official partners of NASCAR at such a young age, and I don't think I really understood, appreciated, knew quite a lot about social media at that time, but to be honored, I mean, to be part of that, that conversation with Lionel to meet some of the, you know, the big individuals with that company, uh, I, I still get chills down my arms and sh shoulders thinking, man, you know, um, if I was considered for that position back then, and I've gained a lot more experience and knowledge since then. You know, certainly that's what gives me confidence that my time is coming. Um, the other occasions I can, I've been to Charlotte 2014, I was just a fan. And I just wanted to kind of get the pulse of what life is like there because when I did the job interview with Lionel in 2012, I think that was during the week of New Hampshire Motor Speedway race weekend. So I didn't get to see anything um, other than Lionel's office. Um, 2014 was fun. It was the Coke 600 race weekend. Had a blast. I saw the Hendrick shop. I went to, what else did I go to? I went to, of course, the Lionel Racing. Um, well, they didn't have a store back then, so I'm sorry. I went to Concord Mills. I know I went to other shops. It's been such a blur for me. I think the biggest part, Sam, that I really enjoyed was going to the racetrack. And I realized okay. right then and there, I, I, I didn't want to be a fan anymore. I wanted to really be a bona fide, respected journalist. Because, and we'll get to it, I'm sure, a little bit later on, but the real reason why I'm in this journey is because I first wanted to meet the man behind my um, in my my, my uh, back screen right here, Jeff Gordon. I was thinking, you know, 
how can I meet this guy who is super awesome, was one of my racing heroes. And I thought, well, maybe I can meet him as a journalist. Um, and it took a while. Again, we'll get to that, I'm sure, a little bit later on. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went to Charlotte in 2014. And then in 2021, I got to visit Charlotte again. And I was covering the Bank of America Roval uh, 400 race weekend at the Roval in Charlotte, which is still one of my favorite memories, just because I got to work with two of our teammates, uh, Stephen Conley and Michael Gorilla. And I'm sure you know who Michael is, of course. And I know course. that you guys have the, that sim raising background and Stephen does too. Um, and it was just so cool because like Michael's been taking these great shots, right? And then Steven's a really talented photojournalist. And then I finally got to meet them and they got to see some of my approach. Um, and it was just good to get back to the racetrack after COVID. You know, I hadn't been to a track in two years, hadn't been back to Charlotte in like eight years or so. And just to really be back and kind of see how I measured up against other folks. You know, I was pretty nervous, but I felt like, you know, I had a pretty successful race weekend and uh, um, I think I formed a lot more friendships during that uh, that weekend too, that to this day, I, I am really appreciative of. And then, you know, here I am, you know, this is my 15th season being a NASCAR journalist. I'm kind of the older, younger guy, I guess you will, you know, Sam, you're a young guy and you're just getting, <laughs> you know, all your great successes early on. And um, I appreciate I kind of like it. You're like Jeff Gordon in the background right now. And I'm more like Jeff Gordon during the crankier older years. Um, nah, I wouldn't you know, that. when he started, uh, <laughs> wait till you get to be almost when you're staring at 40, closer than 30, you'll feel that way. Um, but no, man, I, I, um, it's been, a, it's been a journey for sure. So, um, yeah, I've been back to Charlotte. It's a long answer I gave you, but I've been back to Charlotte <laughs> three times and, uh, I love it. And I'm hoping to visit it again at some point this year. Um, I would love to do the 600. We'll just have to see if I have the stamina to stay up for that. It's a lot. So you mentioned, um, that you had the initial opportunity with Lionel racing doing their social media. And you also tie that in with you meeting people at Charlotte, your team members, which I don't think people realize if you're on like the Podium Finishes content stream that the team that they have is massive. Like it is, it is huge. Like you're the boss of so many people and you manage it so well. How, how do you get these people? Because when I, when I started, you contacted me. Um, just like I friend requested you because I just knew your name. And like, that was how I was kind of networking. And you reach out and you're like, hey, Sam, you ever shot a NASCAR race before? And I'm like, payday, homie, let's go. I'm excited. This is what I've been waiting for. And then I found out I'm like part of your purge of like six or seven other people that came in for the first time in the Zoom meetings. Like, how do you, is that just it? You just message people and be like, hey, you want to come work for us? Well, really, I, you know, I, I kind of scout other folks just by looking at their social media profiles. You know, I not so much to know what their personal details, but like if I've noticed on your profile that you've been shooting photos or, you know, you have you have great writing skills and I feel like you can bring that into an actual media um, version of such skills, then, you know, I'll give you a chance. Um, you know, I, I know when I recruited you, I noticed you were a friend of Seth Egert, one of my buddies too, um he's with kicking the tires 
And, you know, when I messaged you, I reached out to Seth. I was like, what do you know about Sam? He's like, he's really young, but he's super talented. And if you just make sure he has all the equipment to succeed, you won't be disappointed. And I was like, well, it's going to be fine. Because I, I think managing people is certainly all about how you, you ask yourself the main question. How do you want to be treated by others? And that's kind of my little mantra. As far as finding people to join TPF, again, it's all about, you know, looking up their accounts in terms of their, their works. Do they have coachability skills? Because obviously you could be talented, but if you don't have the people person skills, you know, that kind of makes it a little difficult. But if you have skills that can be marshaled and you just haven't tapped into it, but you're a good person, those are the kinds of people I want on our outlet. So, I mean, when you joined, I think you were like number 18 or 19 um, overall on the, on the roster, but I think you were like the first or second recruit after 2021 going into 2022. And oh gosh, since then we've doubled that number, which it blows me away. I kind of think I have to actually credit you for that, Sam, because a lot of folks who have joined our outlet often say, I know Sam and Sam said a lot of great things about you and TPF. Can you tell me more information about us, uh, the outlet? And I'd be like, sure, let's talk about it. Here's the rules and guidelines, which I, like I did with you. Um, and it's, it's just crazy. I, you know, sometimes I kind of wonder how do I do it? Because yeah. um, the thing that people don't realize is that I work a full-time day job too. So I'm actually not, I, I don't want to say the name of the company, not because it's like, ooh, it's secretive, but you know, I'm a technical writer for, um, let's just say a real estate property management company during the day. And during that time too, I'm also an online graduate student at St. Bonaventure University. I'm actually in my last semester of my um, digital journalism program. So in concurrent with school, with work and TPF, somehow I have to have a real life somewhere. So it's all about time management, people management, and also the, the, the theme for this year for me is really taking better care of myself. Yeah, you do a fantastic job because I know that you are like you are always balancing so much. Like anytime I talk to you, oh yeah, we're gonna get this done. I just gotta do this first. And it's just like, oh my goodness, man, how's this guy not burn out? But um going back to the how you get members for the podium finish, you compared to most other media outlets that I'm aware of, you have a very open door policy, like a very just like we want to give people a chance. And naturally you get some not the best candidates in there and dealing with you know such a large group of people how do you deal with when you get you know because it's happened a handful of times you said over the years how do you how do you approach that well you know really it comes down to what I write down in the codes of conduct and you know the guidelines of course if it's something that I think goes beyond what I put in our policies and our guidelines and obviously you know extreme measures are considered but you'd have to do something really, really, really big to like get on, you know, my my radar for that. Um, you know, really, what it comes down to is sometimes you you don't know until you 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 have that person on the team because people will do great initial impressions. You might feel like you have that great vibe with that individual, and then as time comes on, you give them the ability to cover you know a race weekend. Sometimes you find out that oh. They don't quite follow the instructions I want or, oh, you know, because you might have another teammate with you or two other teammates and those two teammates pulled away and the other person is probably more like, 
chatting with their friends, you know, shopping in the fan plaza or just doing nothing. Um, I think what helps us figure out like who we can weed out to who I can kind of pull aside and kind of coach and mentor them better. It comes down to good communication. So it's not just me doing it on my own. I mean, we have people on our team that, you know, I have built friendships around, I have built professional relationships around, and there's a great sense of trust with all of you, all, all, with all of us. I mean, the great thing is about TPF, yes, we have an open door policy because the one thing, Sam, that I think most people fail to realize, especially in this day and age with digital and social media, is that it's okay to be different from everyone else. I think it's great that social media allows everyone to have a voice, but that's also the detriment of social media. So to me, it comes down to how do I lead the team? If I put on a front that's strong, if I can be understanding, the rest of the team probably will follow suit on that. Not like because I'm making them group think, because believe it or not, we do disagree with each other. Um, but the best part is we can learn how to improve our processes. You know, how do we improve dynamics with each other? And even with me, I mean, I might be the one of the older folks on the team, but I'm still evolving. I'm still growing. Uh, and I'm not always going to get it right. But I do strive to learn from those experiences. So, you know, when things like that come up, it's just about, number one, how can I avoid that from happening again? Because if I make it a recurring thing, that's not on, yes, it's on that person, but it's also kind of on me not to be a good judge of character. So, you know, I try to feel people out better. I, I have a betting process now, and I don't just say, you're good. I love that angle of that, that car you got at turn three at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Um, I'm obviously going to try to see if you're a good character as well. No, that's awesome. That's that's a big responsibility to take on and then being so openly to admit it. You know, it's a big learning process, you know, like it's hard to be a judge of character over the Internet, especially when you aren't meeting these people in real life. Oh, it can be. And I don't get it right all the time. There's, you know, there's some moments where, you know, you think you know that individual because of common interest or, you know, you open your heart up to that person and uh, you find out that's, you know, it's it's sort of like paid advertisements or, you know, watching those homeowner, those home shopping network channels and you're like, man, you know, that jacuzzi would be a great idea. And then you get it and you realize, oh, why did I get this? Or was this the right idea for? It's like, it's like impulse know, purchases. Exactly. I think the best, you know, the thing about getting older, Sam, that I've enjoying is that I am learning to get better about trusting my gun instincts, which sometimes sucks because that means I have to hand out bad news or have to decline or reject, you know, people from joining us or, you know, just being like, I'm sorry, you know, we already got two people to go to this race. That's a third person as much as I'd love to do that probably is not going to happen. Uh, I'll, but I'll explain why we can't do that. So it's a, it's a bit of an art skill to do. But I also think it's just about the way you communicate that to others. Like I try to imagine if I was the other person in the other, on the other screen, how would I want to hear myself tell me about what's going on but of course I realized there's other elements to that individual that's different from me so I try to tailor my approach and that's why you know we have this open communication we have like 
in our internal chats, we have like an off-topic channel chat where pretty much anything can be talked about as long as it's within acceptable means. But I mean, otherwise, you know, it's really interesting. We have such a different group than ever. We have the young folks like you, Hayden Rush, uh, Nathan Solomon. You have sort of the, the mid-tier age people. You're not quite old. You're not quite young. And then you have the older group, the, the older talents who, you know, I just try to treat everyone the same. Ultimately, I don't go, oh, I'm going to give orders to an older person. That's going to be tough. Or ha, 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 I can't wait to tell this younger person it's my rules and that's just how it goes. No, everyone, in my opinion, my perspective, I try to treat everyone the same. And that all that, you know, that intuition and that gut feeling you talked about, that's something that, you know, I guess it really comes experience as age, which goes back to like when you're a kid, your childhood hero, Jeff Gordon, as you said, we get into this earlier. You just interviewed him. How'd that yeah. go? Oh, that was fantastic, man. I mean, I, I had a great time talking to Jeff. It was kind of an interesting time because it was during my lunch break at work. So, you know, I let my my boss know. I was like, hey, you know, I need this hour block because sometimes. Hey, yeah, sorry, I just got to go talk to Jeff Gordon really quick. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah because sometimes what happens is like you know I work a pretty fast quick job um for, during the day and sometimes they'll they'll try to like say hey can you do this and I'm like I kind of want to have some time me time but when I get back yeah I'll, I'll, I'll roll my sleeves up we'll, we'll get things done but with Jeff Gordon though I mean that was such an amazing interview conversation honestly now, it helped that I talked to Jeff three other times. You know, I talked to him over the phone and I've interviewed him twice in person. So doing the interview via Zoom, I was like, I already know what he looks like. I know he'll give me pretty informative, insightful answers. So let's just try to tailor this interview a little bit more like a conversation. And it's not to sound like I'm a weirdo or anything, but I, you know, being a fan of Jeff throughout my life, and reading his books, you know, having magazines as a kid about Jeff or covering what he did, I kind of knew what stuff he was already asked. So I just wanted to tailor it around his 30th anniversary of his cup season, which that's why my backdrop right now is Jeff's uh, first 1993 Daytona 500 car. So I'll show, I want to show y'all, like even Jeff's right there um, yes. when he was doing his Daytona 500 pit road qualifying shot that I've been trying to get our photographers to do. And um, anyways, <laughs> interview went really well. I think really what it came down to was you just treat them like a person. I mean, did I get starstruck? Yeah, of course. When do I not get starstruck? But the thing is, is like you realize that people like Jeff are just people who excelled at their day job. And you kind of just have to make that day job seem more uh, relatable to people and if you do that they'll open up to you so you're not just like oh my god you won a 1997 Daytona 500 that is so cool what was it like to drive that car you know 2458 and uh you know did you feel like Earnhardt deserved that no I was like let's uh let's let's let's, let's just cool off the jets let's just talk to him as if I've known him for over the years which I did but I mean yeah so actually as a journalist it's been Gosh, how many years have I talked to him? It's been seven years since I've talked to him. So, I mean, it's fine. So let's talk about that bit. So you mentioned earlier that, like, you're just like, 
the one of the reasons you got into the whole journalism is like you could talk to these people over all this time you know working in this field now you develop some relationships like some good relationships with some of these people and how how deep do some of those go and what are some of them yeah i mean you know i think a lot of those friendships are not just around journalists of course although i do have a lot of friends who are, are journalists or photographers um it's granted we know that I'm, uh, I get along with uh, the TPF team and most of you folks on the TPF team are my friends but you know I have friends who are tire changers I am actually friends with some of the drivers which is great because they can tell you a little bit more about what goes on but you also have to remember to put your journalist cap back on because um the thing people kind of um, get confused about with journalism is the words biasness and impartiality. What it really comes down to is, can you separate your personal relationships and feelings with people so that you can tell things from a detached perspective, a detached emotional perspective? Like, I will be the first to call out my friends if they make a mistake, but I'm not gonna say it in a way that's gonna tear them down. I'll just say what really happened in a really honest account. So I think for me, I always tell my friends who are race car drivers or tire changers, I'm like, hey, look, don't take this personally. This is part of my job. We can separate what we do for our occupation and still chat. You know, we can text each other. We can talk to each other. When I'm at a race, go ahead. You can say something about me and I'll, I'll be okay about it. Um, you know, I don't want to name drop anyone and make it seem like, oh, he's a big deal that he knows so-and-so, but um you know i, I, I we'll get along talk really... after yeah yeah i mean i think it's pretty public though that you know i'm i get along really well with aj almendinger though i mean he, he um especially because you can watch these clips on youtube uh you look up press conferences Exodity series 2021 uh look up the one about the drive for the cure 300 at charlotte in 2021 i mean aj turns a really serious question into one where he um he twisted it in a playful way um I'll just put it like that um and that's kind of fun I think to me when drivers do that when anyone in the sport does that to you that means you worked your guts off to be able to have that that trust with that person um so I, I'm really proud of that because you know like I said earlier Sometimes I do wonder like, well, what would have happened if I lived in North Carolina versus in Massachusetts and now in Texas? But then I'm thinking, well, that's the beauty about remote technology. You know, like I go to races as much as I can. And especially once I get grad school finished up, there will probably be a better opportunity for me to travel. Um, you know, it's just about being connected. And that's the great thing. About, well, again, I tend to see social media actually as a good thing. Um, it's just about consuming it in so much uh, appropriate amounts. So yeah, uh, you know, I'm proud to have been friends with folks that I met through social media. I, in fact, I think during the Rolex 24, I kind of tweeted some articles about, uh, I think it was Georgia Henbury, who is now a, a, a pit reporter for NBC's motorsports coverage. And it kind of hit me that, you know, 10 years ago, I interviewed her and she was like a micro sprint racer out in Missouri. And I was like, my goodness i mean we're both quite a bit older than we were but we're also doing pretty darn well i mean i'm not in tv or with the major media outlet but she's achieving what she's wanting to do to be in racing and 
I'm doing the best I can. So um, it's it's really fun to see those friendships grow and see where it takes you as as friends and as individuals. Yeah, you're doing you published quite a bit, man. You're a National Motorsports Press Association member as of was it 2021? Yeah, 21. So this, yeah, so, you're number three now. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So did childhood you ever like see you having these relationships with different NASCAR drivers or being a journalist? Like what what is child what is, what is childhood you thinking about this? Well, I think I, he would probably be wondering like number one, how the heck did you learn how to write? Because to be honest, I hated writing. I hated anything to do with reading and writing as a kid. Me too. Yeah, the only do. thing, <laughs> the only thing that that I was concerned about was trying to be a race car driver. So, in some ways, when I see folks doing iRacing, I'm like, "Oh man, that was me before, but with an older game and an older platform." And um, I didn't have a steering wheel. I used a keyboard, so kind of a noob. But I knew how to set up cars and all. But anyways, childhood me would have imagined just being a fellow race car driver or just being a fan really if I didn't become a driver um I think what changed me from being a, a a total hater of journalism and writing I don't mean I hate journalism I love to read newspapers I didn't like to read books but the the moment that changed my life Sam was back in 20 2003 or 2003 sorry folks who don't want to hear 2003 is 2003 I'm just more disturbed uh, that you said 2003. That's 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 something. Well, we say 2023, so we don't say 2023. I don't know, whatever. It's like I'm just Coca-Cola saying I lost a little trust in you how you worded that. <laughs> that's okay. I'll gain it back. Um, in 2000, <laughs> in 2003, um, we went, I was in 11th grade, and I think it was my American history class. It's been a while, so you have to forgive me for my foggy memory on this, but. <laughs> I went on a field trip to the National uh, Guard's base in Milford, Massachusetts. And believe it or not, at this time, during that time, it was a big, big field trip, not just to meet the soldiers. And by the way, you know, obviously, you know, we want to thank all the men and women and all of those who are serving in the military um, just to give us these days and opportunities to do what we're doing right now. So thank you very much for all your selfless uh, sacrifices and efforts for sure. Um, went to this National Guard base. We met the soldiers, got to see the tanks and all of that. The best part was we were told to sit in this room because we were going to do a video phone call with soldiers in Afghanistan. Today, that's called Zoom or Skype or Teams. Yeah, that, that was a big deal to do something like that back then. Like oh, it was huge, man. I mean, yeah. It blew my mind because you have to keep in mind, dial-up internet was still going on. Broadband internet was just about being released to the public. Um, and for me, it was just kind of mind-boggling that here I am in, in Milford, and I'm just sitting with my classmates who, at the time, I didn't really care about because I was being bullied by them a lot. Um, but, you know, I was thinking to myself, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, and I'm not trying to be arrogant about this. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to their questions and I'm like, why are we dodging the obvious questions, the, the real serious stuff? I don't mean political ramification type questions. I just mean, let's let's actually talk to them like, a, like actual adults. So just to give some a little context and then I'll wrap up my answer here. You know, in 2003, 
this was before the early part of 2002-2003. It was before the war in Iraq kind of kicked off. So there were some rumors that there was going to be chemical warfare in the U.S. And there were things going online, <laughs> surprisingly, things going online telling us that we needed to cover our, our windows with plastic and we needed to stay home in case Iraq or you know, our, our enemies were going to attack us with airplanes with chemicals. And there was some credence to those concerns. I mean, you know, um, some politicians, some people were getting anthrax mailed to them. And it was a crazy time. It was pretty scary. So anyways, I asked a soldier, I can't remember his name. I asked him, I, I asked him point blank. I was like, what are your thoughts about what's going on back home with having the public having to plow, wrap their homes with plastic on their windows? Should how we really old were you that? when you asked this? I was 17. I thought I was say seven. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was 17. I was like, whoa, I probably, if I was older, I probably would have framed it better than that. Um, but I got a really good response and I liked how honest the soldier was. He was just like, yeah, we've heard about it too. But to be honest, I wouldn't believe any of that. Just, you know, trust in us that we're going to get the job done and, uh, and don't read too much about what's being said online. And I was just like, hey, if I kind of take this thing seriously, maybe this is what I should be pursuing for the rest of my life. Maybe not with hard-hitting news, because, you know, I, I watched the evening news back then. I watched a lot of Dan Rather and CBS, Peter Jennings on ABC and Tom Brokaw on NBC. I looked up to all three. But no way in hell would I want to be sent to Iraq, Afghanistan, and be on the battlefields. And what if my parents found out I got blown away or something? Like, that would really freak me out that I would be hurt doing something I love. So I think I realized in 03, 2003, I actually had ambition. I wasn't going to just, you know, wilter or waste away after high school. I wanted to go and pursue journalism. So I went to school. It took me a while to get my bachelor's. And then years later, I decided to get my master's. And this is where we're at. At what point did you decide you wanted to do it in like a motorsport specific, even though, even though you don't, you do, obviously you're talking about how you do real estate and stuff, but when did you decide that your passion or seemingly it seems your passion was in motorsports opposed to just freelance or real estate? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the inklings of it really began in 1998 because I, when I used to get, you know, in that motorsports magazines at the newsstands or at Borders, Rest in Peace, and Barnes and & Noble, I used to think, you know, maybe I can do an article about Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, the, the top contenders. Of course, as a 12-year-old, I'm very biased, I'm, or I'm very one-sided. I'm going to be supporting yes, <laughs> drivers. Yes, bestest. Yeah, exactly. I was just praising the, the hell out of him, and I didn't really give an objective point of view. <laughs> um, and I think the fan in me started to fade, not like in a disillusioned way, but the fan voice in me kind of faded, I would say by 2008. I got homesick because when I was living in the Philippines, the only motorsports that was seen on TV was Formula One. And I wasn't really a big fan of it. I mean, I knew to watch it. My classmates watched it. They would talk to me about it, you know, like, uh, I knew the names like Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, um, 
all these drivers, Kimi Raikkonen, among others, Jensen Button. But I just didn't relate to them. I still missed my back at home, you know, NASCAR racing series, even trucks or ARCA. I was craving for that. Um, and then one day, you know, my parents, my mom went to the back to the US um, for some health stuff. And my sister accompanied her for about half a year. So it was me and my dad by myself uh, in the Philippines. And I needed something to do besides feeling sorry for myself and feeling sad that, you know, my family was not in the same place. So I decided I'm going to write about racing and I could do better than Bob Pockers and Jeff Cluck, which with all the respect, they're pretty darn good writers. I feel like over the years, I've hopefully gained some ground to be considered even hopefully in the same breath as them. But younger me was a little too cocky again. But anyways, I decided I was going to pursue a post with Leecher Report. And I did articles about, you know, the mid-pack drivers who was going to be driving for Red Bull Racing in 2009. And then eventually I found my niche by realizing I could cover motorsports. And my favorite angle, honestly, was promoting women in racing. I don't mean in like a, in a WAGS way or like sexiest driver kind of way. But I felt in 2008, 2009, we weren't doing a good job trying to be like better stewards or ambassadors of diversity in motorsports, especially with, with women. And I still feel like we could do better with that, by the way, in 2023. But in 2008, I decided, you know, if I, if I can't write about Gordon, because I don't have a way to contact Hendrick Motorsports back then, I would, you know, go on social media, I would, or Twitter, or Facebook, if I can find these, these drivers, I would introduce myself, let them know what my hook was. If they agreed, I would have to call them up on my phone and I used a prepaid card to call them. And I think I spent about a good like $300, $400 just to call these people for 20 minutes. Oh my goodness. So I was pretty dedicated. Yes. And you're still dedicated. So we'll wrap this up here because you got to go. And I'll definitely have to have you back on. So I'd love to talk more about your, I guess, drive for diversity in NASCAR. Um, please don't sue me, NASCAR. But you have a couple upcoming <laughs> projects you're working on. So obviously, like we mentioned before, you um, recently interviewed Jeff Gordon. You yeah. got that. And then just as a whole, NASCAR's turning 75 this year. Yeah. So it's a huge, huge season in the world of NASCAR. You know, the 75th anniversary is something that we should all, you know, take a lot of pride in. You know, back in 1994, the NFL was really gung-ho about celebrating the 75th anniversary of its season, its existence. And with NASCAR, I think it's significant that it's still alive, despite how many people on Reddit or Twitter might say the sky is falling, it's, it's, it's dead. And then you still see those people. We were talking about this beforehand, how people are like, 2008, that was the greatest NASCAR season. What happened to NASCAR? And I was thinking... Oh, wait, wasn't that great? It was good. You know, my sense of good at racing was actually back in 95, 96. And for me, growing um, in the 2000s, like 2011, because I didn't, I didn't watch 2011. It was like the peak year. Oh, I mean, I won't disagree with you in that. I think 2011 was a pretty good modern NASCAR era year. Um, and I, I think, yeah, in my next appearance, you know, if you, if you invite me back, I would love to talk about, you know, some of the best seasons since... The, you know, we hit the 21st century. Um, that would be a long one for sure. <laughs> um, 
But honestly, my biggest projects this year, yeah, the NASCAR at 75 project. Now, Gordon's part of the bigger spectrum of that because it's part of my grad school project to highlight his 30th anniversary as a cup rookie and how he basically started the Jeff Gordon effect. Um, short story on that, you know, Jeff Gordon was the first young driver who was somewhat unproven, but super talented to be given the opportunity to drive one of the best cars in all of cup racing. Um, new team, but with one of the best organizations around. And he he took it, took with he took it, he ran with it, he won with Ray Evernham, Robbie Loomis, all of his crew chiefs and teams throughout the years. And I feel like crew, uh, car owners have been searching for that next Jeff Gordon. Ironically, I feel like the only team that's been able to perfect that is Hendrick Motorsports. Yeah, you could say other teams have done that, but uh, the NASCAR at 75 piece will look at Gordon's impact on NASCAR. And I'm also going to profile some of the drivers who you may have not heard from over the years because either you were too young to remember them or it's been a while since we've heard from them. So like, I'll tell you a few that I'm trying to get is uh, Terry Labonte and Kenny Schrader, who ironically are Jeff Gordon's former teammates. So I want to kind of celebrate the drivers you may have not heard from for, or for quite a uh, quite some time. And then the other ones really just kicking my, off my YouTube channel um, to be more, a bit more comfortable on a face-to-face -face environment because I'm used to being more behind the scenes and I'm learning to be okay with my mistakes on camera or my flub ups um, when I, I mess up a word, but hey man, it's you know, flawless about so far tonight. Well, thank, flawless. thank you. <laughs> I, um, it sounds vain. And my last thought really on that is like, I used to practice being interviewed when I was a kid and ironically, I think I was inspired by something I read on uh, ESPN Outtakes by Dan Patrick. Uh, he interviewed Dan, uh, Shannon Sharp, who everyone knows is now the, the media pundit over on FS1. Well, he used to pretend to interview himself by looking at himself in the mirror, grabbing a hairbrush. And he often said he asked himself the hard questions. He never wanted to be confronted with the, tough, the easy ones. And that's sort of why I think over the years, I've tried to get better with my public speaking and I'm not trying to do it in the corporate way. I'm, I want to relay what I'm thinking at the moment and say it verbally, but in a way that, you know, it's still conversational. So um, I guess props to Shannon Sharp for indirectly inspiring me, which is kind of weird because I, um, I did not care for him beating the New England Patriots in the 90s. So um, it's all good. And I can attest to the saying stuff in the mirror thing for the last year, two years, I've had, I will be a professional motorsports photographer written on my mirror. And I can attest this works. I know a lot of people, I'm not, I want to call myself, I'm like border, I don't, I don't know what to leave myself. Anyways, fake it till you make it, lie to yourself till it's not a lie anymore. The mirror thing works wonders. But anyways, Rob, you got to wrap it up. I know you got to bundle up. It's freezing. Would you like to promote any social media quick before you head out? Yeah, of course. And first of all, thank you, Sam, for inviting me on here. And I think a lot of folks are going to enjoy, you know, having a nice little sit down conversation with you. So I hope you get all the success with your channel and your, your project here. As far as finding me on socials, pretty much everything is at Rob T. Onksen, um, with Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. So follow me there. If you really want to follow me on Facebook, I'm really boring because I just share family photos and cat pictures and dog photos. Um, it's at RTTPF. So Rob um, initial for Rob T. Onks and, and then TPF for the podium finish. So that's where to find me, folks.
All righty, Rob Townsend on the Sam Dre Show.